everybody, and welcome to the podcast. This week's guest is a guy I've been fortunate enough to work with for over two decades. He's a good friend. He's also a multiple Canadian Country Music Association award winner, a Juno winner, and he has a platinum record. Yes, those still exist. Give it up for my buddy, George Canyon. Podcast number one, George Canyon. Podcast my number one. Guest. I'll be George Canyon. You be Jim Cressman. Go. <laughs> Deal. Um, so today I want to talk about music, but I also want to talk about family, and I want to talk about uh, uh, some of the struggles you've had with mental health. I want to talk about a lot of the things that generally people don't talk about in interviews. Um, yeah. And where I thought I'd start today is uh, is talking a little bit about the um, uh, the concept of religion. And, and how that has worked as a backstop. Your faith has worked as a backstop to help you so, ground yourself time and time again. And generally, we don't talk about religion or politics uh, in interviews, but we're going to do that today. So I want to talk well, a little bit about how your faith has helped bolster your mental health to get you back up and on the horse every time you've been bucked off, proverbially and literally, <laughs> but proverbially literally. in your career. So let's... Let's start with the definition first. Sure. I'm not a man of religion. I almost gave you the... I almost, I'm not... <laughs> no, there's two. You proved <laughs> it. Okay, here we go. I'm not a man of religion. I'm a man of faith. Um, the reason I say that is because people hide behind religion. Um, right. Bad people. Some bad people hide behind religion. And I've watched religion in the sense of, you know, um, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Mormon. I've watched that that excuse be used for their behavior. And I despise that. I despise that. Absolutely despise that. But that's up to them. That's completely, you know, to each, choose what you want. I'm a man of faith. Faith is me and my belief in, in my, in my God, in my savior and the relationship I have with, with my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. That's my faith. Um, I was born and raised in a religion. I was born and raised Roman Catholic. It didn't feel right to me. It didn't give me enough freedom to worship the way I felt I needed to worship, to have the relationship I felt I needed to have. Now, for others, it works perfectly, and that's great. I'm always a fan, and I always will be, of saying, I will help you or encourage you to do whatever you have to do to have a relationship with God. If if you need to stand on your head and twirl balloons in your hands to have a relationship with God, I'll support you. I'll hold your ankles for you. That's how I believe we should all come together uh, in faith and support each other instead of separating into groups and then having your biases against other groups. I witnessed that growing up. Um, I heard it time and time again within the family. Oh, you know, those Protestants. Or the, and, and you can still witness it today if you, if you look to Ireland and places like that or the Catholics and the Protestants, you know, that whole argument that goes on. So for me, I'm not a man of religion. I'm a man of faith. And that's really dumbing it down as best I can. So I, th- I think that's a really important distinction because um, I do see how uh, the biblical verses sometimes get interpreted and corrupted in a way that forces more division when... The, the concept of spirituality is all about inclusion, or it's supposed to be. And so you, know, just, you see people using religion as a, uh, as a justification to, um, yes. to undermine or, or to uh, potentially be 
you know, full of bigotry or call certain people out. And, and uh, the fact that you've stayed away from that temptation, um, it, you know, really helps define who you are and your character as well. But do you still so, see that that's a fairly prominent problem in yes, that community? So, well, I, yes and no and yes. Um, but who am I to criticize? Good Lord. You know, the old saying, you don't, you don't throw stones at a glass house. If you, if you, if you have windows in your own, Yeah, I got a lot of windows in mine, man. So, um, there's issues with everything. So I, I kind of concentrate more on m my faith and my relationship with God and trying to grow as he needs me to and learn. Um, I've come a very, very long way in how I used to think as a kid and how I think today about God's love for everybody. Um, I was part of a church plant. I pastored for nine months. I didn't, I, how can I, you know, what do I know about being a pastor? But it's not, it's not about going to school and being educated in theology. Yeah, it's great to be educated, but it's about trusting God and being obedient to his word and, and, and what he needs you to do. And, and the number one thing, if, if everybody, everyone really knows this, what Jesus said is love your neighbor like you love yourself. It doesn't say, but don't love this guy or this lady because they, or don't love, it doesn't. It's love everybody. And and I think we get away from the simple truth of the fact that God is love and God made each of us. And when you criticize somebody, you're criticizing your father's creation. And I'm like, oh man. And I've done that so much, Jim, in my life. I have been so critical of others. I have been so judgmental. And it disgusts me when I look back to how I was but I got a long way to go. And my faith, I, I use every day in this business. And I have because I've needed support. And yes, my family, my wife, you know, back when I was quite young, mom and dad, um, my kids, they all support me. And that helps me a lot. But my faith keeps me grounded that I know my Lord has something planned for me. And I've, I've always put my life in his hands, not always, but when I made that decision to do that, and that had to be almost 20 years ago now, that's when everything started unfolding. That's when I, my career, I got on Nashville Star, everything started taking off. And it was that trust that I had to have. And you and I, you and I have talked about trust uh, a lot in our business. Um, trust is first and foremost. Well, in my life and faith, trust is everything. You can't have faith if you don't have trust, if, if, um, all the times that I've done things where I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this, but I'm going to trust you, Lord, you got my back. Your plan is perfect. Mine is faulted. When I turn that over to him, look out. Um, it, it's been unbelievable. That doesn't mean there's not highs and lows, but what I have learned is the things that I see as bad, I've watched him take and completely turn around and and use as good for me to grow. Okay. Yeah, it might hurt. Yeah, it might suck. Yeah, you might have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and go again. But I guarantee he's made you stronger for it. And when I look back over 30 years, just in this business, if I was to look back over my whole life, I'd have to look over 50. But let's just look at 30. Um, I can see those times where I trusted him. And I can see where I grew and I can see where I failed to not trust. And, um, man, I wish I would have trusted a lot sooner. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> there's definitely something to be said for the utility of having foundational 
principles in your yeah. life that you can always go back to to navigate the decision-making process that you have moving forward. And in that mm-hmm. particular um, example, you are you are the master of your own destiny. Now, I read a, yep. a passage uh, a while ago, and, and I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, but um, in Romans, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, so you know, don't, don't it's okay. Don't I'm, attack I, me I'm for not this, good. But, <laughs> but uh, the idea is uh, suffering. Uh, inspires character and through mm-hmm. character you are uh, able to um, tap into hope and hope is this bottomless well of mm-hmm. the ability to continue to try and fail until you get it now that concept no matter how antiquated no matter how rudimentary by people who want to dismiss the idea of, of Christianity or any fundamental uh, religion that is a very useful principle, and it speaks oh, to the times that we're in right huge. now with yep. with the music industry, right? So yep. it's it's really important to have um, ancient wisdom or, or wisdom that you've discovered in your own life and be able to apply that to your own life situations and go, yeah, you know what? I, I can feel like I embody that message because I've lived mm-hmm. it. And, yep. and on that note, how have you embodied this time you've had all this extra time you toured really heavy last year we did like 90 shows um but this year obviously everybody including yourself has been off so how have you um maintained your focus through this time what are you prioritizing now that you wouldn't usually be prioritizing well i don't want to simplify this but um all religions and spiritual people I'll say you put out positive to get positive. So when you have a foundation, when you have a belief and a trust and hope, you put out the positive um, because you know, you know, you've learned when you do that, when you trust positive things happen, karma, call it whatever you want. Um, So for me, uh, when this all came down and gigs you know you and i are like okay this gig got canceled this gig got canceled i started going oh dear you know the 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 human part of me the man in me went i have to provide for my family i have to put food on the table i am not a millionaire like wikipedia will tell everybody all of us (laughs) are in our business that's a bunch of bullshit let's get that out of the way right now i work for a living i'm very blessed to get to do what i've done i've done Mm -hmm. many other jobs and i love i love my job is it a job not many days is it a job. I love it. It's a passion. But I still have to feed my family. So I started to panic a bit and I kind of went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to draw on all those things in the past that I know when I trust my father, he's he's taking care of me. We're in the palm of his hands. And I just did that. And then that started my creative juices flowing. And of course, looking at all the positive things that can come out of this pandemic um there's a lot of negative but trying to find the positives and focusing on them we know when our industry bounces back it's supply and demand that's how that's how business works we have not had supply so guess what happens the demand goes up so i think we're going to be really 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 busy come 2021 uh god willing into 2022 and um in the interim using those positive uh, vibes to be creative. So I've been writing a bunch. I've been recording. We have the podcast going now. Um, we've been doing shows. Uh, we did for like 10 weeks every Sunday doing a, doing a, a free show for the fans to try to 
you know, pick them up too and take them along for the positive ride. And um, it's it's been amazing. Now you can sit back and go, well, how much money have you made? Well, I've made any, but that's not what it's about. It's it's not about going to a garden without putting seeds in it and saying, okay, where are my radishes? Well, your radishes aren't there because you didn't put any <laughs> seeds in the ground. You have to you have to take the time and be patient and trust. There's that word again, that you're, you're, you've planted your garden, you've done the hard work, you've done the labor, your hands have got dirty, and that your radishes will come up. Right. And, and I'll give you props for that. I mean, when you started your Facebook Live and your, your um, podcast, uh, one of the things that we discussed was, you know, very early on is how do we monetize it. But uh, to your credit, you said, let's not worry about that right now. To use your analogy, you're like, let's plant some seeds, let's water them, and let's see mm -hmm. if they grow. You know, and it was, it was encouraging because I think there's something really important behind having the right intention to do something. And listen, I'm in the monetization business. I know how important mm -hmm. that is, but yeah. there is something to be said for, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do for the fans. I don't give a shit if I make money or not. And I know yeah. that those fans need this right now. They need, they, they are all encountering mental health struggles and, oh, gosh, and the yeah. live music industry is such a, uh, an important, uh, uh, mental health stimulant, if you will, for yeah. people, right? Like a lot of people get into a George Canyon show and they, they forget about their problems for five, mm -hmm. ten minutes at a time while they're listening to you riff between songs or play some of your hits that they're so familiar with and they drum up all these great memories for them. Um, and, and I think... We hope. Yeah, and I, and I think I think the idea of, of what you're saying too can be summed up uh, by a line that, that I really like that Tony Robbins always uses and he says... Life is not happening to you. It's unfolding for you. Yeah, exactly. And if you have that mindset, then when you encounter problems, you can tackle them with a different level of optimism. And optimism will fuel your fire. There's real utility to it. You know, people often go, well, how do you stay so positive? I'm like, I'm not fucking positive all the time. <laughs> exactly. Of course, of course yeah. I have moments where I feel like I've failed as a, as a father, a husband, an agent, a manager, a friend. I have those mm -hmm. moments where I know I haven't been the best version of myself. But, mm -hmm. but I also know that redemption is real and that you can come back by, from those things. But the only way you're going to find the energy to tap into to come back is by going at some point, this is going to get better, you know? And, yep. and I think, I think that message is yep. really lost. And I don't know how you feel, but I feel like, especially with everything that happened with George Floyd and, and, and all of the businesses crumbling under the COVID um, lockdown, that, that there just seems to be a heavy feeling of, of pessimism uh, permeating society right now. And it's creating more division and more hate and more blame. And it's heartbreaking to watch because, you know, the end result of that can't be good. No, it's a it's a negative energy. And, and like we talked about positive energy, negative energy attracts more negative energy. And um, it just, uh, you know, it gets it gets kind of uh, it's like a snowball going down a hill in wet Nova Scotia snow. By the time it gets to the end of the hill, it's big and it's ugly it's not even round. It's this weird shape. And that's negative energy. And uh, believe me, you know, I'm hugely uh, guilty of falling into a negative vibe, as I'm sure all artists are. 
every now and again you fall into that negative trap and the what trick to all that, of it george like what what often is a trigger that puts you in a negative headspace because um oh. i think it's important to get to the bottom of that sometimes I mean, this is a competitive industry. So sometimes if you see oh, an yeah. artist doing something, you might be happy for them, but there's a part of you that goes, well, why the fuck am I not doing that? You know, like yeah, those man. types of things are, are really hard for artists, I think, to navigate in their own headspace. It's so true. And that up until probably, you know, probably a month ago or so, that competitive nature, because I'm, I'm very competitive. Of course I am. I've, I'm an athlete and I'm, and I'm in a competitive business. Um, that would eat me up. That would cause me to kind of freak out, um, to bang my head against the wall. And a lot of that is self-blame. Um, even though it might have, you know, something might have happened, the single didn't get to where it was supposed to, and, and you could say, well, this wasn't done properly. At the end of the day, an artist will, well, at least as myself, I will always own it. So it's self-blame. So now I'm beating up myself. Well, what does that do? That's negativity at its best. And now it just now I'm driving that snowball into myself bigger and bigger. And I'm I'm getting down, I'm getting down, I'm getting down. And about a month ago, um, thank God for my wife, because she was the one who um as always has kept me on the straight and narrow. Uh, we were talking about it and she's just like, Why why are you so worried? about what all these other artists are getting to do. You, you've got to do that stuff. You've had your time in the sun. You've had a 30 year career. When I was told by Bob Doyle, when I signed with Bob all those years ago, after right, like during Nashville star, that I'd be lucky if I got five years. Um, my God, I've had 30 in total and we're still making music and we're loving it. And something in me that night just snapped and I went, yeah, I'm going to let that competitiveness go and I'm going to start enjoying where I'm at. Now I should have done that many, many years ago. And man, I woke up the next morning and I was like, this is awesome. I felt like there was a thousand million gazillion trillion pounds taken off my back. And I just embraced music. Now when that happens, now there's the cloud is gone. Now the creativity comes flying out of you. And I wrote six songs in one freaking day. I haven't written six songs in a day since I was maybe 18 years old and they were really bad songs back then. <laughs> now that doesn't mean there's six great songs, but the, but embracing that creativity that only comes from a positive vibe. Um, I let go of the competitiveness. Do I want a hit single? Yeah, of course I want a hit single. Everybody wants a hit single. Do, do I want to sell a million records? Of course I want to sell a million records, but reality is reality. And accepting the truth and my standard, I've set my standard. Here's my standard. Here's what I do. Here's why I do it. And here's who I, who I do it for. Now that standard might not, might not be my wildest expectation. Like, Oh, I'd love to have a number one single. Probably not going to happen. If it does, I'll be very grateful, but I've set my standards to, to create great music for my fans. That makes me happy because if it makes me happy, Hopefully it makes them happy. That's my goal. And and letting go of that competitive nature, man, I tell you what, I uh I just it was like um it was like a rebirth almost. And I mean, yeah, I'm turning fifty and it's taken a long time, but I never claimed to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. So, you know, it's it's finally I finally clued in. 
Well, I think competitiveness is just a, an intrinsic trait of high-performance people. It's just something yeah. that's just part of, of the game. You know, if you're going to be a high performer, you have to be aware of what everybody else is doing so that you can mm-hmm. uh, navigate and, and govern your own um, actions accordingly. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, what, what you just said, like taking that suffering and that frustration and finding a way to process it effectively, turning it into mm-hmm. something that actually does benefit you in the moment and, uh, and long term. And the other thing, and and this is a good point you made too, mentally I think we can hold two opposing narratives in our mind, work back and forth between those things till we arrive at the truth. But emotionally, you cannot hold gratitude in your heart and embrace jealousy and embrace frustration and embrace anger. You can't. If your heart is grateful, then it dominates your actions and it dominates your physiology and and you know if you if you pay attention to people if you just people watch you can see people who are obviously in pain frustrated having a bad day and you can see people who are full of gratitude full of life and full of zeal and everything about them looks differently you know but uh it's it's pretty it's pretty cool it's pretty encouraging when you take a step back and realize that you can observe these things and then you can train yourself to react or respond, I should say, instead of react. But that's that's a hell of a process. Um, it is. You've had major emotional growth, I'd say, in the last five years. Uh, Ten, definitely, that you deserve credit for. But the last five years have been very transformational for you. And a big part of that has been how you treat yourself physically and how hard you work out. You've always been an athlete, mm-hmm. but... You've really stepped it up. You're 50 years old this year. You're looking as good as you did in your 30s. What is your regime looking like these days, day to day? <laughs> well, I'm in better shape than I have been in my entire life as far as my um, my weightlifting regime. Uh, I, I could always, yeah, conditioning and cardio, I could do better, but I hate running on a treadmill. Absolutely hate it. I love playing hockey. So normally I play two to three times a week. That takes care of my cardio. 90 minutes of constant up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down as a goalie. Um, that really is my cardio. And I, I depend on that. Well, with COVID, we lost that. Like we haven't gone back yet. So for me, cardio wise, I, you know, I get on the treadmill. Um, I do the hit method where I'll, because I'm, I'm on there for a shorter time, right? So high intensity. 15 minutes. I just read a wonderful article the other day that technically the guy said they did a study and you actually don't have to run to beat hell. Like, like you're getting chased. You can actually walk up a very steep incline at like a brisk walk for the same amount of time and achieve almost the same effect. So that's great for my knees because as a, you know, as an athlete, as a hockey player for my whole life, my knees are not the best. Um, being a goalie for the last six years has helped out a lot, uh, strengthened my core, my knees, my hips, which has been great. Um, now working out though, uh, when I weight train and that happens every day, except for today, (laughs) today was a bad day. I went down. I just, you just know your body says, no, no big fella. Don't even try. Yeah. And I tried and I'm just like, okay, no, I'm going to listen. And it's important. That's one thing I've learned. Um, and a lot of people have to learn is you listen to your body or you will pay a price. Stiffness. Um, and 
a stiffness injury. Mm. Um, you know, at my age coming 50, um, in my mind, I'm not 50, but my body is definitely going, Hey, you know, things are hurting a little, a little bit, you know, stuff's a little stiffer. Um, you have to be a little more in tune. Luckily, which is weird to say this, luckily I'm a type one diabetic for 36 years. So I've always been very in tune uh, physiologically with my body. And I can almost tell you where my blood sugar is at any time. That's how in tune type one diabetics are. Um, so for me working out, I can tell. Um, but for instance, yesterday, day before great workouts, when I go into the gym, um, I'm all about volume, uh, but increasing the weight with the volume. So right. find that, find the magic volume, which you and I have had millions of hours of conversations over because you're a crazy health nut and um, finding that volume with the weight and then uh, doing it in a way that your heart rate doesn't really like it. It's not really getting that. You're not sitting down and waiting for six, seven, eight minutes before, before the mm -hmm. set, you're taking a minute, you're taking a minute and a half. If you're really lifting, you know, heavy volume with heavy weight and you're back at it. So my heart rate is really like, it's constantly having to recover. And I know my endocrinologist tells me, because I have to do treadmill testing um, every year to maintain my pilot's license, my medical. And he's like, man, I, I, you've got the heart and lungs of a 25-year-old. What the hell are you doing? And so I tell him, and he's like, aha, that's the trick. Um, the trick is not so much about going out and running 20 miles. Is it going to be great for you? Yes, it is going to be great for you. But the trick is up recovery, up recovery. I mean, the heart rate up recovery. Yes. And he, he said that doing that um, to your body on a regular basis, throwing the odd thing in there to really, you know, confuse it. Um, that's how, because he was the, uh, he was a doctor for the Flames. He was a doctor for the uh, Stampeders way back. And he said, you know, you'd see these athletes and that would, they would, that's what they would do. Like they would be just, just give her just to beat hell and then recover and then give her and then recover because that's the idea in a game, right? You give right. her, you're sitting on the bench. And um, it really true. does work. Well, yeah, it is. It is, yeah. It's moments of pandelarium and then moments of boredom. Isn't that how, a, yeah. isn't that how the day goes? And um, working out that, you know, and, and I'm actually going to do, um, you don't know this yet, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, there's a wonderful company that's just being started. Um, part of it was created for athletes that have... Um, severe injury. Um, uh, Ryan Straczynski, who um, is paralyzed, and but he wants to be on the you know Canadian sledge hockey team, so he needs to work out. So they've created this whole system that, and I don't want to get into all of it, that interacts and it's all band driven, but band driven with equipment. So it, it, it's hard to explain, but it is going to be released relatively soon. And we're actually going to create um, some workouts that go with that, that I'm going to, to uh, present to the type one, type two diabetic community to really encourage them because for blood glucose control, I have found nothing that compares to weightlifting for giving me a very honest um, average blood glucose over a 24 hour period. So if I work out today, I'm going to benefit from that right through till tomorrow for my blood glucose levels. And yes, uh, hockey does sort of does the same thing, um, but not like weightlifting, man. There's something about that stress, time under tension. It's not about like, you know, I'm not going to get under the bench and do 3,000 pounds. I could get under there and do 10 pounds. 
but it's time under tension that my body just reacts to it. It's incredible. Well, it's interesting. You can't manage what you don't measure. And uh, one of the reasons why I think you've been so regimented in your workout regime is because you have struggled with type type 1 diabetes for so long. You've been forced to measure and manage your blood sugar since you were a little boy. Now, tell me a little bit about that process and how important that that is as it factors into your day-to-day ability to be productive in your mental health. With my diabetes? Yes. Yeah. So back in the day, I treated conventionally. And what I mean by that is um, you take an insulin needle. I took five to six insulin needles a day. I tested my blood sugar upwards of 14 times a day, only on one hand, mind you, because as a guitar player, this hand has string grease and I did it once and I paid the price. My finger got infected. So only on this hand. Yeah. And um, it was it was tough. You know, I was on the road. So back when I was 18, I went on the road. I might have tested three times a day if I was lucky. Um, I was rationing my insulin because once I left home, I was no longer under my my father's health care. And so now, and I can't get Blue Cross. I can't get that coverage. I'm a type 1 diabetic. So, you know, I'd have to buy my insulin. So it was terrible, Jim. It was was horrific. And um, I consciously, I remember remember the day I made the decision. The guy's about coming 20, 19, coming 20. I'm just like, I feel like shit all the time. Excuse my French. And um, I got I to gotta take control of this. When I was 14 and diagnosed, I had my dad and my mom there. My dad's chief tech of the hospital lab back then. He, he made sure I was in tight, tight control. In fact, too tight when we look back. But now I'm on my own and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? And, and so I, I started making the decision. No, I'm going to test my blood sugar five to six times a day. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to have to buy, like it's a buck a strip, but I'm going to figure out how to get the money. Was, wasn't making any money, um, but I was on the road and, uh, and I did. And when I did that, I started to feel better. And when I felt better, everything flowed better. Um, and it was because of this, right? So this controls this, no matter who you are, what you suffer from, this controls this. And because this stress, is why I work with, stress has a profound impact st- on your blood sugar. Stress is, stress is terrible, but it can be, it can be terrible and it can be a good thing. It depends if it's a distress or a good stress. And that's a whole other podcast. But but uh, for me, technology, um, you know, looking back and all that time now, now I'm on a uh, Dexcom G6 CGM. So it's constantly measuring my glucose and giving it to my phone. It's unbelievable. Uh, what it does, the G6. It lets me share my blood glucose with five people around me. So when I'm on tour, uh, my tour manager has it. And uh, many times he's like, oh, you okay to go on stage? It looks like you're trending a bit low. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And, you know, um, and then I've gone low and I've gotten texts from Karen. Our assistant is like, are you all right? It's showing a urgent, a urgent low. And so that tech is incredible. And then the Omnipod insulin pump that I'm on is the second piece of tech that is uh, it's just unbelievably brilliant. There are days when I almost forget I'm a type 1 diabetic. And um, that's not just exclusive to the tech. It comes with taking care of yourself and eating correctly and exercise. But the, all these tools grouped together have given type ones uh, the ability now, compared to when my grandma was a type one, to live their dreams beyond. And I'm proof of that. I've lived more dreams than I could have dreamt up myself. I've got to see people and go places all over the world. I got to be an honorary colonel in the military. I've been to Afghanistan four times in the desert on the ground with our troops 
wearing an insulin pump, 42, 44 degrees Celsius, no problems at all. Peter McKay, the first time we went, and Pete's an old buddy of mine, Pete's like, man, you're going to be all right. You know, this is how hot it is there. And I'll be fine, Pete. And, and Pete was wearing out before I was. So all this tech has really, really paid off. And these companies, we owe a debt of gratitude to. And they're, and they're you know, the JDRF itself for doing research to find a cure and putting money into treatment methods, which is CGMs, insulin pumps, um, smart pancreas, all these things, uh, encapsulation device that's in, in trials right now, uh, Dr. Shapiro up in Edmonton, all these things uh, that, are, that are coming down the pipe. Next to a cure, man, you can't ask for anything better. Now, speaking of mental and emotional stress and how that affects your health, and you and I have had these conversations privately, but I want to share some of them publicly. Mm. Why the mm. hell would you go into politics? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, not a politician. Um, never dreamt of being a politician. I think one of the errors that our society has fallen victim to is allowing politics to be a career. Um, I believe it was Ford or Reagan or someone that said that um, politicians and babies' diapers are very uh, have have one thing uh, very in common, and that is they they need to be changed regularly. Um, I think uh, my for absolute the, for the same reason they both become full of shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> I didn't go there, but you did. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some politicians who have been politicians for a long time because they're there for the right reasons, and they're doing an amazing job. And that's on every side of the fence; doesn't matter what party they're the right people for that job. Um, then there is the handful or more than a handful that are the wrong people for that job, which we've witnessed time and time again. For me personally, it came from a drive to serve. I've always wanted to serve. I wanted to be in the Air Force. Um, I was a peace officer, volunteer firefighter. Um, and then this, I was told, Peter told me, McKay said a long time ago, about 10 years ago, he said, if you want to serve your country, the biggest way you can serve is going into government to represent those people that need your voice to be there because their voice can't be there. And when the opportunity, I had no plans uh, to run this in this election. I got a phone call in my home riding where I was born and raised, Central Nova. Um, they said, our candidate is stepping down. We don't have time for a nomination election. We know that you have been, wanted to run or have talked about politics for a long time with Peter. Peter, of course, told them, would you consider stepping up? We will appoint you. And um, I just felt that, you know, Jen and I and the kids had a 24-hour meeting because we only had 24 hours to decide. And Jen said, you know, obviously the good Lord needs you to step up. That doesn't mean you're going to win, but he needs you to step up. He wants, maybe that was the test, Jim. Maybe that was the test to see if I was going to be obedient. And so I stepped up. Um, I don't um, regret stepping up. Uh, there are a few things I wish I knew. I wish I was told. It's that old antage of, you know, a firefighter always wants to know what's on the other side of the door when the handle's hot. You have an idea, but you don't really know. And I didn't really know. And when I walked into it, I was feet first in, in, a, in a cauldron of hot boiling water. And I got baptized by fire um, internally as well within the party as well as externally when i was out on the street uh going door to door but you know uh 
you have to celebrate the fact that we have democracy because I've been in those countries where it doesn't exist and I've seen the the beat down faces of the people because they feel like they, they, they're just living a, you know, kind of a, a pointless life almost, not getting to have control of their own destiny or of their children's destiny or what's going to happen. And man, we are so lucky. So getting hit with a cane, being told to F off and get back in my effing horse and go back to Alberta, the lies, um, all that stuff that went on, I have to celebrate that because we live in a democracy where we get to do that, where we get to be have a voice and pick our leaders and be be it a good choice, be it a bad choice. It's a choice and a freedom we have. And um, so I look back on it now and, and I celebrate it. And um, it was definitely a life experience. Um, and would I do it again? That's, a, that's an interesting, uh, would be an interesting question. Well, one thing that you can't deny is the fact that you put uh, Pictou County on the map during this last election. Like generally- Well, we had some fun. <laughs> yeah, generally, um, the candidates in that riding would have struggled under a lot of anonymity from national press. Uh, of mm -hmm. course, locally, it's a big deal, but nationally, it would have been lost in the shuffle. Um, but mm -hmm. having you run as a candidate gave that that riding and a lot of their issues national attention, which I think is is really valuable for the riding, regardless of the result. Um, but what about the argument that maybe the best way for someone who has your gifts to inspire is to do so through your music as opposed to running for public office. I mean, you must have wrestled mm -hmm. with that. Uh, not really, because in music, um, it's my job to bring comfort. It's my job to bring happiness. Sometimes it's my job to bring sadness. And, and you hear a song and it reminds you of your late father or things like that. But music can change the world, and it has in a roundabout way, in a, in a long-term way. Um, running for office is different because I was, my whole drive and purpose was to be the voice of the people of Central Nova so that I was their voice in Ottawa, not Ottawa's voice in Central Nova. I've never believed in party politics and I never will. Um, I think if, if somebody trusts me to be their voice and represent them, and their husband or their wife and their kids, their grandkids, then your job is to be their voice. If they don't want a, you know, choice A, then you need to vote and say, no, my constituency does not believe in this. Um, we need to have more of that. And we also need to have more of the government in itself, the opposition, um, you know, the, the government, the leading party, uh, second opposition, all coming together and going, wait a minute, what's the best thing for Canadians here instead of just arguing because it's your job to argue it's not your job to argue it's your job to represent the people in your constituency and always think what is the best for them they have trusted me there's the trust word again they have trusted me to be their voice what does that look like right. and I that to me I take as the most serious of, of highest regard and so that's why I wanted to do that. Um, making music doesn't offer me that platform. It doesn't offer me that opportunity to serve. It's still a, an opportunity to serve, yes, but it, this this drive inside me, man, that I will not be able to ever, ever 
dampen that I have to serve. I have to serve. And my condolences to uh, Barry. Um, I don't know if you knew this. Barry Randall was the uh, NDP representative. Or not, was he NDP? No, wait a minute. Barry was Green Party, sorry. He was the Green Party representative, right? I'm getting the parties mixed up. And uh, he just passed away um, suddenly uh, the other day. I think he was only 50. So my condolences for his family. Uh, Barry was a very passionate man. And I didn't get to know him that well, but he was always very kind with me. And we had some funny, um, what would you call it, uh, whispering conversation sometimes just just some of the things he would say to me and i'd be losing it and he would know that so it would get me laughing during debates and stuff and um he was a sweet guy so my condolences to his family yeah for sure well listen as uh, as your manager i was privy throughout that process of how um your desire to represent the interests of your constituents rather than allow the party line or your own personal opinion to affect Mm -hmm. how you felt about issues in that Mm -hmm. riding. And I think that got weaponized and used against you. um, It did. You know, at times because people will go, well, you don't have a stand on something. And, you know, it it, it became very hard for you to say, well, listen, I'm I'm not here to have a stand. I'm here to represent people. And, And my job is to take their wishes, desires, compartmentalize that and articulate it back as a representative Mm -hmm. on their behalf. But I remember speaking to you and having you feel very frustrated that you were put on the spot to essentially hypothesize or assume the position of the constituents before you had had a chance to really garner the feeling of, of, of of how they felt about certain issues. It's true, man. In today's world, of technology and social media and call it what you want. There is absolutely no excuse for not being to being able to get the voice of your constituents. There's no excuse for it. And if you, if your ego drives you to the point where you know what's best all the time, then you need to get the hell out of politics because egos are, in my opinion, one of the worst things that can exist. Yes, you have to be confident. Of course you have to be confident. But your confidence needs to come from your constituents. And the whole idea of being the leader and having the sheep follow is bullshit. And I will call it bullshit. I don't care what party you're with. People are not sheep. They are leaders in themselves. They are leaders of their families. And and it's important that they get to have a voice and to, in today's world, there's no reason why you can't get the majority of their beliefs and their thoughts and what they what they stand for before you even step into parliament. Absolutely, like way back in the day, yeah, man. If you you know if you have like seventy, eighty thousand people in your constituency, and you know we got party lines where you, I don't know you're probably too young to remember the party lines where you pick up the phone when it rings a certain number of times that's your phone that you pick up in your house mm-hmm. but now we've got social media up the yin yang i i don't know anybody that doesn't have a freaking email and um there's just there's just no excuse for it you just got to put the work in so what would you do differently if you if you had the opportunity and let's say for example we throw out some of the the, the frustrating factors, like you having 24 hours to make up your mind. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. what would you do yeah. differently next time around that would set you up for more end result success? Well, I think at, at any 
anything that you want to succeed at, you need to make sure you have the right team. Even a golfer who, let's call it, it's a, it's a solo sport. That golfer has an incredible team around him or her. And I think um, going into it, I should have asked more questions right out of the gate. Yeah, you've given me 24 hours to decide, but why is that candidate stepping down? Why is there not time for a nomination election? Um, I should have just really went, wait a minute, you know, and taken and really dug in instead of going to my heart and going, I need to serve, which is, which is what we did. Yes, I need to serve, but I also need to be a little more smart about what am I stepping into here instead of trusting, there's the trust word again, trusting that I, I was being told exactly the truth and that, you know, everything was being transparent with me, which it was not. Um, and, and that's no fault of anyone's. It's not a malicious thing. It was just everybody panicked, I think. And um, uh, I, I would have taken the time to do that. So if there is a next time around, um, whatever the good Lord has planned, uh, and maybe it isn't me running. Maybe I can serve in government a different way. Right. Um, I don't mind. I talk to anybody. I don't care. President of the United States, it doesn't matter to me. I, it doesn't matter who, who they are. They're, they're, they're a man. They're a woman. They're human. Um, we just get, you just talk. Right. And so I have a skill set. I know what it is. Maybe that's what I end up doing, um, to serve as well. I don't know, but I, I can tell you one thing right now. Um, and, and until I die, music is something I will always be in. I will always make, um, I've been very blessed to, to get to do it for this long and I continue to do it in whatever capacity that looks like. Yeah, and uh, as a guy who started as a fan of your music and then became uh, lucky enough to work with you over the years, I'm very happy to hear that. I'm sure a lot of people will be as well. Um, the new single, Speed of Life, is doing great for you at radio. It's getting a lot of ads, a lot of love. It's yeah. uh, it's a song that you didn't write, but it's 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 got the poignancy of having an auto autobiographical feel for you. So tell us a little bit about yeah. how you felt uh, when you yeah. heard that song. Oh, I just laughed. Um, that song's for me, two years old, um, because of course we were waiting and, and had some publishing issues as, as you're very well aware, um, working through all that stuff. So when I got to, you cut it and then we got to release it, I was really excited about it because it, it, it's a song that's really simple and it really talks about how fast life goes by. You know, when you're a kid and I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, being 13 years old, bored out of my skull, saying, oh, God, I can't wait till I can drive. You know, I can't wait till I'm 16 and I get a car and or a motorbike or, you know, any of these things. And and then you're 16 and you're going, oh, God, I can't wait till I graduate and I'm 18 years old and I can, you know, go to the bar, even though I didn't really think about going to the bar as a kid. I was kind of more focused on career. But um, And then you're 18, you're wanting to get into your 20s and get on your own and do all that. And then you're you're in your 20s and you're not really being respected because you're brand new on the on the work scene so you're like god i can't wait till i'm you know 30 and i've got a real name for myself and you wish the time away to only regret wishing the time away and um for me it's more about the time i i get to spend as a dad and a husband um you know i look back to when my kids were little and i just wish i i could have just breathed it in a little more taken taken more time to enjoy the simple moments in life. And, um, so the speed of life for me is way more than a song. It's kind of a, it's kind of a statement really. And, and I remember being told that I'm sure you've been told that, 
you know, oh, life is going to go by. Your kids are going to turn around. You're, you're going to be in high school. And you're like, yeah, whatever, Grandpa. Um, well, damn it, Grandpa knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, my grandpa used to say life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. It does, dude. Yeah. Just... And uh, Boy, at the time, good. I used to laugh. But the older I get, the more I see the wisdom in that. And he was right. Um, yeah. And uh, and you've got a lot as well pending. You're doing the uh, the CBC Reads. Um, you're finishing that series here shortly. So tell us a little yeah. bit about that process. And you've always been a pretty avid reader, which is great. And it was great to be able to rebrand you as an expert in that realm, in the literary realm. Well, I wouldn't say expert, but... Um... Uh, like everybody, I've I've, um, I've got an opinion. I've got a voice, and um, I'm such a fan of Canada. Um, I'm a hundred million percent Canadian. Um, Canada is the greatest country in the world, and and I want to do whatever I can to support Canadian business, to support Canadian artists, um, Canadian authors, and so getting to be a part of CBC Reads. It took a few years for us to to find the time. We were touring so hard, as you know. Finally, this past year, uh, we got to, and I was so excited. I read all the books, and um, uh, Jesse Thistle, the author um, who who wrote the book I'm representing. Oh my gosh, uh, just an incredible man. Um, what he's gone through and getting to know him, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing. And I have fans that say the same thing. They're like, God, we didn't know you were like this. We, you know, you're such a normal guy. You know, we're talking to you and stuff. I'm like, yep as normal as the day is long and so it's the same thing for me right i kind of start out a little star fan fanboyed out a little and i get to meet jesse and talk to him and i'm just like man you know what an incredible story and um as a songwriter everybody's got a story that's the one thing uh, my wife says all the time everybody's got a story take the time to listen to it when you read a book um like jesse's you get to spend that time with him without spending that time with him and um, man, I just um, I'm loving the whole experience. I'm I'm nervous about the debates because I don't want to fail him, but at the same time, he's already succeeded. Man, to be that vulnerable to put his story out there, and then to um, make it to the number one bestseller list across Canada, he's already succeeded. He don't need me to argue any points. That's for sure. Well, and a little. A little friction always sharpens the blade too, right? So <clears throat> it's good to put yourself in a position where you have to debate why yeah. you feel so strongly about something, right? It's a, it's a bit of a lost art in, in the cancel culture we live on, in today where, you know, you see it in, in, in social media predominantly, but, you know, people disagree with somebody and, and, uh, and sometimes the disagreement is worthy of not necessarily wanting to continue the conversation. I get that. But a lot of times the disagreement starts small and it snowballs quickly. And so, you know, to have the ability to debate, um, it's one thing I've, I've taught my kids and I know you've taught yours. It's like, you know, be persuasive, polite and persistent. I've been saying that to them since they were two. You know, if you want to stay up till 830, you figure out why that <laughs> is a good thing for the family a good yep. thing for you and you yeah. sell me on it and by God, so. you'll get it. Right. <laughs> and, and if you put that back on the shoulders, uh, when they start being little ones, I mean, I'll tell you now, now my kids are six and eight and they're, they're pretty convincing <laughs> because they've honed their skills at it. So it's a good they're thing very... for you, even at your age, as much as you've had to do it. But if you, if you really are serious about taking another run at politics, it's like, 
getting the chance to debate publicly about something that you're emotional about is really important. Well, and it's, and it's fun. Like in a debate, nobody can be 140 character brave. Right. And in a debate for, and I don't know why this is, but when you're in person, when you've got that face to face, it's easier to be empathetic to the person arguing with you. It's a weird thing to say, um, but it's very true. Um, I think the the social media um, 140 character brave hiding behind the the keyboard doing all I think these it's, things. I think it's 280 characters now. To be fair, is to it 200? Uh, yeah, okay, they doubled it. Yeah, yeah. They doubled it. Yeah, great. That's all we needed. I, I think that that is that does no good for anyone. Um, all that does is that snowball gets even uglier and bigger at the bottom of the hill. Um, the negativity continues. Now, if there's a valid point to be made, it can be made, it always can be made in a polite way. Always. You know, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you have to call them an arsehole. Um, they have an, a voice and an opinion just like you. So why why were you not an arsehole then? Because you have your difference of opinion. Um, I think there's a way to always, um, uh, at the end of the day, both walk away uh, agreeing to disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, I think debate and the way our grandfathers used to have to communicate where they didn't even want to pick up the phone. They just, you know, jump on, jump on the horse in the wagon, or if they had the pickup truck or whatever it was, and they'd go down to the neighbors and they'd have a face-to-face talk and it would get worked out one way or the other. Right. Yep. We might disagree uh, completely and that's the end of it. Or we might work it out and say, okay, yeah, sure. Let's move the fence 20 yards here because your cows need this or that. You know what I mean? There's, there's all these things that always to me, um, you can achieve success way better if you're willing to talk um even on a phone even nowadays it's on a phone not face to face as much but um i always i've encouraged our kids from from day one um do not run and hide from a problem because the problem ain't going to solve itself and always always try and talk to people face to face well 90 percent of communication is nonverbal, right so 100 percent yeah you need to be able to pick up on context, cues, signs, yeah. signals, and you can't do yeah. that. You're right when you're engaging. The other factor I think is when you're engaging in a debate with someone in front of an audience, it's almost like it turns it into a prize fight because you want to score <laughs> points in yeah, order true. to play yeah. to the audience rather yeah. than, than what the end goal should be, which is to work things out. And, and the end goal I've always felt if you're going to go into a dispute is peace. Right. Like that's the end goal. We're looking to solve this. Right. Yeah. I don't really want to dominate you and I don't want to be dominated. That doesn't work long term. But if we can find a compromise, well, then we can probably Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. swallow our pride enough to make make it worth our while. But this uh, this idea of of publicly engaging in battles in front of people, you know, similar to a debate format. um, But because you're right, it's you're not doing it in person. So you're not as aware of seeing that individual as a human being. You sort of see them as this avatar, whatever their profile picture is, right? That's who they are. Right. And, and it's true. It, it just, it's, it's, it, it removes the humanity from the discussion. So it's uh, empathy. Yeah. And and the, well, you can't empathize. It's very hard to empathize with something that that isn't leaving, living and breathing. Like it's hard to yeah. empathize with a bad idea, right? 
mm-hmm. you can empathize mm-hmm. with a human who's who's maybe temporarily possessed by a bad idea because you mm-hmm. can see the redemptive qualities in them beyond the fact that they might be corrupted or misguided in this particular domain. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. I mean, I, obviously, I've got my own opinion on it. I mm-hmm. bear witness to it a lot, but I feel like you've always navigated yourself very well digitally, obviously in person. Um, you're a riot of a guy and lots of fun. And um, there is something as well on the horizon with you that that could be coming to fruition soon, and that's uh, potentially a children's show, which uh, yep. which we're in the really early stages of right now. But man, I just think that's such a great fit for you. I just feel like you could be Canada's dad. Well, I, I love. I've been writing children's songs, just desperately writing, like every day. I think I'm up to. I think I've got twenty five now. And I'm absolutely loving it. I love working with kids. Obviously, I've worked with type 1 diabetic kids for the last almost 20 years um, across North America. And, um, and you know, children, you can learn so much from children that, um, that sometimes we forget. Um, when I was a kid, I, I mean, dad used to make a joke where children should be seen and not heard. And then he would laugh and then I'd punch him in the arm kind of thing. But I think when he was a kid growing up in that era, that was actually there was a lot of truth to that children should be seen and not heard and uh, i'm so glad that that's no longer the case and wasn't wasn't the case for us either i mean you know mom and dad always encouraged us to to um talk and communicate and speak our mind and politely and you know and be respectful um but there's so much to learn from kids that uh i'm excited man i i know um you know i grew up on mr dress up i grew up on uh, the friendly giant um, with his, um, with Jerome, the, the purple giraffe. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. You know, when I think about it, it excites me, um, because, uh, there's a lot for me to learn and hopefully I can, um, you know, teach the kids something uh, through music, um, life lessons too, that we all take for granted. I take for granted. Everybody learns that a lot of kids don't get to learn. Um, because maybe they, they, they don't have a, a support system there in their family. And getting the opportunity to possibly be a small part of helping that nurture, be, being that nurturing uh, factor really, uh, really excites me. I love it, man. Let's wrap this up. I want to have you on again. Thank right, you but- so much for joining me today. I will gladly come back. This is podcast one. This is exciting. Yes, definitely is. Thanks again for doing this, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, pal. My okay. pleasure. Take See care. you soon. Bye. Right, you too. Bye. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Big Star Recording single, Speed of Life by George Canyon. Available now on all DSPs, that's fancy industry lingo lingo for uh, digital streaming platforms. Uh, You can also request it anywhere on Canadian Country Radio. Uh, Join us next week on the podcast as we've got my buddy Aaron Perchette coming up.